You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Andy Wong, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. I have to make an embarrassing admission. I often stress about money, cringe about spending, and occasionally lay awake at night worrying about enough. This despite the fact that I've done the calculations, have marketable skills, and have investments that make me money while I sleep. Even so, I stress about taking vacations, worry about the cost of home remodels. No matter what the math tells me, I sometimes can't quiet my mind. Money mindset. It's a phrase we often throw around in the personal finance community and on blogs and podcasts. A simple phrase, a simple idea. But getting good mentally and emotionally with money is easier said than done, even when you have plenty of it. Today, we discuss why. Andy Wong has been named a top influential financial advisor by Investopedia. On his podcast, Inspired Money, he explores positive money stories with everyone from entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, creatives, and even a former WWE wrestler to help you get inspired, shift your perspectives on money, and achieve incredible things. Andy Wong, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Let's just start with the phrase itself, money mindset. When I say that phrase, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? And I'm not talking about definitions here, but what does that kind of mean to you? Thank you, Doc G. It's great to be back. That, I guess that combination of words for me immediately brings to mind this duality of do you have an abundance like, do you have a, an abundance a money mindset or a scarcity money mindset? And which side are you on? I guess as a starting point, because I feel like everybody has a different relationship with money and it boils down to oftentimes it's our childhood. Part of it is nature versus nurture. <laughs> and just trying to like identify like which side of that coin are you? And the difficulty with money mindset in anything money related, I think, is that it's a moving target. And there are so many variables because there are, there's the internal work, but then there's all the external world, things that we cannot control, the stock market going up and down, the economy. Is it accelerating or decelerating? Are we in a recession or are we not in a recession? Like, what is the job market like? You turn on TV and you're inundated with so much information 
and we live in this inter we live in this information highway of a world where I think there's too much information rather than a shortage of it. And it's really about how are you how are you interpreting or taking in that data? And I think that the money mindset part comes down to is it abundance? Is it scarcity? And I guess in other words, do you have a positive or negative mindset towards money? And because we don't get enough education in school specifically about financial literacy, too often we have a negative money mindset or we just don't want to address it or talk about it. I find it interesting because as you were talking about money mindset, I definitely felt like you were talking about internal factors, right? Things that start inside of you and then external factors like the world, the news cycle, the market, et cetera. Let's start with you specifically and some of the internal factors you developed. You mentioned earlier childhood, right? That's somewhere where we really develop some of those internal feelings about money. Talk about your own childhood. I know your father is in the financial services along with you. What was it like growing up with him? And if he was involved in financial services at that time, what did he kind of model for you about money mindset? I grew up in a family that had money conversations at the dinner table. That was not foreign. My father was director of research at the Bank of New York through the 1970s. He was president of the bank's money management subsidiary through the 1980s before founding his own registered investment advisory firm in 1993, where I now work. So we had money conversations. Actually, my father's money conversations were over my head most of the time. He, he would talk about, for example, he followed machinery companies and would visit Caterpillar Tractor and John Deere. And as an analyst and director of research managing a team of analysts, he was doing cycle work, like trying to, he, he would talk to the C-suite of Caterpillar Tractor, of Maytag appliances, and be trying to look for correlations between appliance sales and home sales. And where are we in the cycle? Because as an analyst, he believed that he wants to identify when do you want to buy the stocks and when do you want to sell the stocks? And using that market cycle work, he felt that he could gain an advantage. My mom, she would stay at home when my brother and I were young, went back to work when I was in fourth grade as a stockbroker at Merrill Lynch. So we talked about stocks. We talked about investing. And it's funny, when I think about my childhood, my one of like the big memories that I have is my mom taking me to the bank and setting up a savings account, getting my passbook and depositing $100 that I had received for, for like Chinese New Year or birthday money and seeing two or three cents in interest. Like, I was like, this is great. I made money without doing anything. And I love that. I think that 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 kind of steered me down the road of being a saver and not really liking to spend money. Yeah. So I got different lessons from both my parents. My father did try to teach me about the value of being a patient investor and a long-term investor. 
buying very high quality companies and holding on to those because over 20 years, the, the appreciation can be massive and you're making money while you're sleeping. But because of my personal tendency for not wanting to spend money and being very frugal, my dad would actually impress upon me that savings important, but also think about the other side. Instead of spending hours trying to figure out what car you're going to buy for your first car and doing the research and trying to figure out what's the best value, what's the best bang for the buck, he would tell me you can also spend time trying to figure out how can I make more money because that's an important lesson. It's not just about savings. You can't, you can't over-focus just on one side and ignore the other. You know, it's funny because what you're describing, especially in your father, and I wonder if this is because he was doing it a little bit more institutionally, is he was very clinical and sounded like very abundance-minded, yet you were very scarcity-minded as a small child. Where do you think you got that from? Because clearly, at least your dad was modeling very different behavior. Did that come from your mom, or do you think it was just innate in who you were? I think I actually got it from my dad's side because. I mean, both my parents are, I'm Chinese American. My father came from China. He grew up in Taiwan, but eventually came to the United States. My mom's side, they're Chinese too, but they grew up in Hong Kong. But my father's side is more the, I guess, typical immigrant story because they were, they were running away from communism in China. My grandfather was working at Shanghai Shek University. And because of that affiliation, when the communists came into power, Shanghai Shek is the other side. So he was on the wrong side. So he had to leave and made the very difficult decision, which I really admire. Pretty much uprooted his family, left most of their belongings behind, and came to the United States with really just an ed- with his education and his desire to have a better life. So my grandfather was a really good administrator at Shanghai Shek University. He was also running the national tea factory hmm. in Taiwan. But coming to the United States, he had to take a job as a chemist working for a soap company, which was an okay job, but not a great job. So I think that I care... I, even though I didn't really have the first-generation immigrant experience, I saw it. So I feel like that did shape my thinking around money. Like I tended to want to save for a rainy day. And maybe it's just I was born with not really much fashion sense either. So (laughs) So I wasn't spending money on uh, flashy clothes. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because what you're really talking about is generational trauma and these what we call money scripts, right? Handed down that in some of your history, your family's history, this idea that things could blow up at any minute and you had to hold on to your money tightly and you may find yourself stretched in a way you didn't think or expect. So you better be careful now. Doesn't seem like your dad had that as much, but it certainly seemed to pass on to you. My dad is not a big spender either. But you're right. I mean, he, you know, coming to the United States and not even being able to speak English when he came here when he was 12 years old, he jokes that 
he learned English by reading comic books and then excelled in school, ended up going to Yale for undergraduate, studied international economics, and then he went to Columbia Business School. So he just felt like the ability to, I guess, lift oneself up and to make money, that's the big opportunity, right? Like, don't waste your time just trying to save. If you figure out how to make more, that solves a lot of problems. Interestingly, my mom's side, my mom actually grew up with quite a bit of money. Hmm. Didn't come as an immigrant with nothing. Her family is quite prominent in Hong Kong. And my mother was, you know, well-to-do growing up. So, yeah, it's interesting that I have the two sides and I don't know why kind of gravitated towards seeing uh, my dad's side more than the other, I think. How did this translate into a career for you? So you went to college. How, how did you decide to end up in the financial industry? I think it was all the conversations around the dinner table about, about trying to understand how companies are making money. And that part is just really intellect, intellectually stimulating. My father would tell me that the opportunity to come to America and open up one store and then expand to two stores and then expand to five stores and that there would be investors who want to invest in your company and take your company public and have this exit where a lot of wealth could be, could be built and realized. I think my dad really enjoyed that kind of work as an analyst, understanding, like talking to like the best companies in America and understanding what is driving your growth for the next three to five years. And what's the plan B if your growth plan hits a hiccup or unexpected, you know, if there's a economic downturn or if your product that's going to be coming out, what if you don't have the international growth that you're hoping for? He was always looking at those things and telling me and my brother these stories about how good companies become great. And it, it's fun talking to a CEO and CFO, asking her or him about their business, because they tend to be very passionate about their businesses and quite open to sharing, too. It's like, what are the opportunities ahead? What are the challenges? What keeps you up at night? Some of the questions that we'd, we would ask is like, in a using a baseball analogy, what inning are you in? Hmm. So you want to hear they're in like the third inning, not the eighth. Yeah, I think that because of those conversations, I gravitated towards kind of studying a little bit about money. Like I took econ courses in college and there were some entrepreneurship courses in college that I enjoyed. Uh, I went liberal arts, so I took all kinds of courses. I, I took religion courses. I took philosophy courses. I took an intro to music appreciation, I took a film course. So pretty broad. But then coming out of school, I moved up to Boston with my now wife. And I was walking, I was working at Thompson Financial Services. So we're really, we were following earnings of different public companies. And that was fun too. So let's move on from talking about your history and your money mindset to those of your clients. You are a financial advisor. You deal with clients all the time. Let's break it down. First and foremost, what is the mistake 
that people usually make, is it more action oriented or mindset oriented? Like your average client, what tends to be the biggest hurdle? I think that there is the mindset and we know that we know the importance of mindset, whether it's your money or physical fitness, even when my kids were in elementary school, they're middle schoolers and high schooler now, but when they were in elementary school, the school is trying to teach them the importance of a growth mindset. So we know that mindset's important. What I see is that while mindset is important, it doesn't always translate into the action. Like you can have a great money mindset, but you're still not, you're not investing consistently or you're just not paying attention to it. So it's it's more than just mindset. You need to bridge that. I think you need to bridge the two. You need to be taking the right actions and it helps to have the right mindset. And I frequently, I frequently don't see the two necessarily going hand in hand. Why not? I think that life gets in the way. And too often, even though we know money is important and money is like one of the top stressors in America, when, when you have like the project at work to do, and then after work, you have to go to your kid's soccer game. Your finances too easily are put on the back burner and then perpetually. So we're just not paying enough attention to it. So it really takes like it takes a very deliberate, uh, conscious effort, I think, to put it on your calendar, to build it into your plan, to make it routine and to build the habit. Because inertia, when you're not tending to it is really hurting is really hurting you and there's a huge opportunity cost as you know the longer you're putting it off and not paying attention you know the odds are that you'd be better off having your money invested versus not having it invested at the top of the show i just asked for your general impression when i said the phrase money mindset but i want to get a little more granular here i've heard you say a few words when it regards money mindset, right? You've said kind of abundance and scarcity. And then you said the growth mindset. For those people who are not as familiar with this term, is is your money mindset one specific thing or is it a series of principles? Like how do we kind of lay this out? Because again, I think it's one of those phrases we say really often, but I don't think that everyone knows what we really mean. Well, when it comes to money mindset, I think that whether you have a positive whether you have a more positive outlook when it comes to money versus a negative one that's that's the starting point i think i think it's an important one because i've read about research where people who and this is not money specifically but people who have a positive outlook versus a negative outlook those with a positive outlook there was a study done and i can't i can't remember the source but they had people looking through like newspaper clippings and those who had a positive outlook actually spotted more opportunities than those who had a negative outlook. So they're looking at the same paper, the same information is on there, but those with a negative outlook just overlooked <laughs> a lot of the opportunities and didn't see it. I think that that translates to money mindset too, because in looking at my clients, like we work with some clients who are very wealthy, 
And I, I tend to see a pattern where those very wealthy individuals, they have a very positive outlook. They're not calling me complaining about politics and what's happening in the world and all the things they're worried about. They truly believe that the world is one of, of immense opportunity. And even when they go to a restaurant and have a dinner, their mind is, is I think, working differently. Like they have a great meal and suddenly they're thinking, wow, this meal is so great. There should be another restaurant like this. This guy should open another one and they should expand. You know, they're right. just which is which is the growth mindset. It's interesting because as, as you've answered this, you've actually hit on, I think, some of like those big pieces of the continuum, right? There's positive versus negative, right? The farther you on the positive side, probably the better versus negative. But then you talked about abundance versus scarcity, right? The idea that the world is overflowing and full of things for us to take care of as opposed to kind of scarce, which I think you had a lot of as a child. And then last, now you're talking about growth, right? Not only, hey, this, there's the world is abundant. There's wonderful things in it, but I really like this thing. Let's build on it and make more of those things. Yeah, and like great investors, they have many failures. They've invested in companies that went bankrupt and didn't make it. But they have this overarching positivity or positive outlook that enables them to see opportunities. And I think maybe they they view risk a little bit differently too, because it's not this risk aversion. They understand risk. They know that they're not going to have the answers correct all the time. They will invest in a company that may not make it. But then at the same time, they feel like if they're repeatedly doing this or investing in companies consistently, and I'm talking about more private investments, private equity, early stage investing, I've seen you know, great wealth being made. And it's a numbers game. Most of those companies don't make it. But those who invest in that way tend to see things pretty positively and they're taking the long shots and they hit enough of the big ones to make up for the ones that didn't make it. Um, I myself have not participated in that type of upside. But you know, I, I do see that. I think that there's a pattern there. And you see that even similarly in like CEOs running companies. They are, they're like the optimists of their company. That's their role. They see, they see the glass half full and that's why they're in the seat that they're in. And they're trying to get everybody else in the company on board as well as investors and analysts. But I think that they tend to be more positive than negative. Do you think there's a default money mindset out there in the world? And I, I recognize that that default in the rest of the world may not necessarily be the same as the people, for instance, who come and get advice from you, right? Because that's its own select group. But do you think there is a default? And is that default generally not a good money mindset? I don't think there's a default. I think it's all over the map. I think that it, I think oftentimes clients who come to me, the the commonalities are that maybe they haven't been action oriented and they haven't taken care of their finances and they want guidance they want an advisor to help them to do it there are others who are just too busy i work with a lot of attorneys and professionals who they feel like they just don't have the time 
to address it. Some of them have interest, some of them don't, but ultimately they feel I want to hire somebody who is doing it full time because I don't have the time to do it. And I think that that's it, it's not the mindset that is driving that decision. It's more those who want to outsource some of the responsibility and some of the expertise. We are talking to Andy Wong. He has been named a top influential advisor by Investopedia. And we are talking money mindset. What is it and is it changeable? We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R usa.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenues, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Andy Wong. He is the host and creator of the Inspired Money Podcast, where he interviews entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, creatives, and even a former WWE wrestler to help you get inspired, shift your perspectives on money, and achieve incredible things. So, Andy, we've been talking about the money mindset and what it is exactly how changeable are people's money mindsets? Like, are they set in stone? Or if they know better, can they do better, or at least think better? We're, we're all fighting that idiom or phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> but if I believed that, I wouldn't be hosting a podcast called Inspired Money and trying to inspire people to actually pay attention to their 401k and look at their finances. I think, I believe that we can all do better. I just went for my annual physical today and the nurse asked me the standard question. She said, 
do you exercise? I said, well, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like wherever, wherever the listener or viewer is today, right? Everybody, there are those who are doing better. There are those doing worse. There are those doing average. I think no matter where you are, there's the potential to do better. And I think that goes for fitness. I think that goes for your money. I think that goes for your, well, I like to talk about physical health, mental health, spiritual health, and financial health. And I think that those four pillars, it, it's a moving target. So you're never there. There's no, there's no money mindset nirvana that you reach and you say, I'm done. I am now the Buddha. <laughs> I will go out to the world because I've been meditating under this tree. I'm enlightened. Uh, I don't think that that happens. I mean, Warren Buffett, I think, is still, he's hes a master of what he does. And he's not a young guy. He continues to try to do better tomorrow than he did yesterday. I think that that's, for me, that's what it comes down to. That's why I think that the answer is that we can do better. Sometimes we change quickly. Sometimes it's slow. Other times it, you, you're on a plateau and you feel like you're just not advancing. But I think if you make a practice of working at it, you're going to improve. I like how you say that there is no kind of money mindset nirvana. A little bit of what I talked about in my introduction was exactly that. Like, I know better. <laughs> I've been studying this stuff. I have my own podcast. I wrote books about it. But yet I have to admit that I have those moments that make very little sense, but the scarcity mindset creeps back in, even if you're trying to feel abundantly. Let's be a little more tactical here. What comes first, changing your actions or changing your mindset? I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, there's that term, fake it till you make it, right? Are we like, going through the process of taking action so hopefully our brain will change? Or is it the other way around where our brain really needs to change and that'll spur us into new actions? I think that every individual is different. I think everybody is, you know, their own unique flower. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think that there's a mold that you could say that this is what works and this is what doesn't. I think every individual has to figure it out for him or herself what works best. And if that means faking it until you make it, then then go for it. That's what it requires. I like that you use the word tactic because it goes back to what I was saying. It's not just mindset. You can have a positive money mindset, but you're just not taking the action. So I think that the tactics are equally important. Which one comes first? I don't think it matters. I think that that's where it comes down to the individual. It's like, what works best for you? If you need to get your thinking changed and your perspective, the way you see things more positive when it comes to money, then work on that and see if that translates into tactics and action. But uh, you need both, in my opinion. Maybe you don't need both. Maybe if you have a negative outlook, but you're very tactical, mm. maybe you're okay too. But I think it does go a little bit back to that study with the newspaper and people who, you know, were very positive seeing opportunities that those who were negative didn't. I think that that does apply to your money too. Even if it's something as simple as reviewing your 401k choices, I think that if you have a very negative outlook and negative feeling about it, 
you might be inclined not to make changes, not to do anything versus somebody who has a positive outlook and saying, oh, maybe I should reallocate a little bit more to international where maybe the growth prospects are better. Or maybe you're just looking at asset classes and saying, what was beaten down last year and may recover this year? And you make little changes. You reference this idea that, you know, it's hard to tell, right? Action versus mindset, because everyone is, you know, quote unquote, their own special little flower. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to stretch here a little bit. Tell me about some minds change set changes you've seen, maybe specifically in a client. Tell us what that actually looked like. Maybe a client you worked with that had an epiphany or you worked with on mindset and you found that that changed how they invested or how they how they decided to allocate their money. Mm. Yeah, I can think of a, a, a couple of examples. There's one individual who he's around 60 years old and really feeling the pressure of working in corporate America, but being at the age where he's very worried about being laid off because he's seeing his age group because they tend to be higher paid and Companies are trying to uh, tighten tighten their budgets, so they'll lay off the near sixty year olds and maybe hire two or three younger people, saving money. And he feels the pressure because he can't find a job as easily. Um, he was laid off and really struggled to land a job. I mean, to the point where. He was going to interviews and being told, you're overqualified. And his answer is, I know, but I don't mind. That's fine. Can I? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind that I'm overqualified. I'm just looking for a job. <laughs> yeah, I think for him, he, that was combined with having pretty high monthly expenses. You know, he because he had a decent job for a long time and his son graduated from college. So he wasn't really thinking about, does he need to look at his household budget and plan? So it, it took some time and effort to sit down with him and take a look at what do your monthly expenses look like? Where are you spending the most? And you know what can you trim back? I think that he did have to be more cognizant of it. For a long time, he didn't need to. And then when he needed to, he did have to buckle down and say, okay, well, let's prioritize what are the important things for me and my wife going out to dinner, entertainment. It's like, where can you trim a little bit to take some of the pressure off while you're job, job searching? Wait, wait, Andy, are you telling me that the mindset shift he needed was to go from abundance to scarcity <laughs> and that that was okay? What do you mean? Yeah, that's right. I, right. For the circumstances, yes, that's what he needed. And because he was coming from a place where he, he just never had to worry about it. And <laughs> when when his reality changed, yeah, I think that he need to, he needed to introduce a little bit of the scarcity mindset because... Um, he he is worried about running out of money. I mean, that's where you're trying to walk that delicate line because um, you need a little bit of that fear in you, but you don't want it to overwhelm you, especially to the point where you can't do anything, right? Because you talk about 
paralysis by analysis. And I think that that can happen when worry just overwhelms you and you freeze, right? Do you have a lot of people who are stuck on the other side, people who have gotten successful because they've lived in the scarcity mindset for so long when it comes to saving and frugality that you had to really work with them to loosen the reins and start spending their money? Yeah, there are people like that too. There are those who it takes a financial plan where they can actually see what are my assets and liabilities? What am I spending in retirement, whether they're retired now or if it's projected into the future? But suddenly they see they see it clearly documented. Oh, wow, I have I have a sufficient amount of money. I don't have to worry about not I don't have to worry about running out. And then, yes, then they are thinking about, okay, if that's the case, which they hadn't realized before, hadn't thought about, oh, maybe I can take an annual trip with my family. Or can I be charitably minded? Like maybe I should help some organizations or some causes that are important to me. So I have seen that. Somebody that I don't work with, but I just got to interview Matt Higgins, who was a shark on Shark Tank sometimes. Mm -hmm. He had a really interesting rags to riches story. He grew up with a single mom who was sick and he was he grew up on government cheese, but he told me that he never had a scarcity mindset. Even as a kid who had grown up in a difficult financial uh, financial situation, he was always he was very industrious. He would sell flowers, he would he worked at McDonald's scraping gum off the bottom of tables. He always felt like he could he could make more and kind of dig his way out and rise higher. And he did that. I mean, he 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 became like the youngest, I forget, it's like the youngest press se- secretary of the mayor of New York or something. He worked for the New York Jets. He went he went on Shark Tank. Today he's a investor. He has his own company, you know, investing in private equity. But one point that I wanted to share is that he said once he had a liquidity event, he made a large sum of money, more than he ever thought that he'd make. That he had a mindset shift that suddenly he was more worried about losing money than making money. Yeah, loss aversion. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, had to work through that because said, you know, sometimes critics say, why why do the wealthy keep working to be more wealthy? And he said, well, the in his experience, if you don't, you'll eventually just lose it all. <laughs> so he has to keep <laughs> trying to grow because he doesn't want to just lose all his money or stare at his money and worry about losing it. So yeah, I think that's another aspect of money mindset and how it changes depending on your situation. It's not just a absolute, like, this is where I want to be mindset wise, right? It's always changing. So if you want to get healthier, you exercise and eat well, right? If you want to be smarter, you read books, listen to podcasts and blog. What do you do if you want a better money mindset? Like, do we meditate? Like, what do we do in order to have maybe a healthier view of dealing with money? Well, that's that's an excellent question. I don't know that I have a perfect answer. I mean, that's one, that's a question that I'm trying to figure out myself. And 
I started the Inspired Money podcast. I've been going almost six years now interviewing different people. So for me, that's been the practice. I'm talking to people who have either made a lot of money because they started a business. I'm talking to people in the nonprofit space who they're giving money away. And I'm trying to understand like, what is the importance of purpose and having a cause that you believe in and that feeling good, right? That feel good that you're getting from your money helping other people. So I think that that all plays into money mindset. There are many different aspects, right? It's it's making more, giving more. I've been doing, you, you were a guest on Inspired Money as a live stream. I also want to explore, I also want to explore how to live more. So make more, give more, live more. I think that that is, it's, it's the focus is money mindset. And I think it comes in different, different flavors and, and there are different aspects to it. Uh, it's not just one thing. How close do you feel you are to having the ideal money mindset after doing, like you said, after studying this, after helping people with their money, after doing the Inspired Money podcast, talk to me about your own evolution. Do you think you're closer? Do you think you've learned a lot over the years? Like, what has it done for you? I've no doubt learned a lot over the years. <laughs> I don't know if I'm closer. I think that it's helped me a lot to see and talk to different people about their personal experience, personal experiences, and especially when it's tied to money, because money can be a very complex topic. I think that it's key. The, maybe the key thing, though, is that it's it's money mindset and then tying it together with tactical and really trying to make consistently putting a plan to work. Yeah, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm realizing that you need the two. And, you know, so, so sometimes it comes to working on yourself and working on your mindset. But other times it really just requires sitting down with a notebook and writing down, like, what are my goals going to be for this quarter? What are my goals going to be for this year? And what are my long term goals? You know, five years, 10 years down the road. I think it's important to put pen to paper. Or for those who want to type into the computer, they can do that too. Well, Andy, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. The reason why I want to talk about this topic is I feel like we throw around that phrase money mindset a lot, but very few of us really understand what that actually is. And I have to admit, in a lot of ways, I'm not sure I 100% understand what it is. What I've come to the conclusion of from this conversation, among others, that I really think your money mindset are the stories you choose to tell yourself about the role money plays in your life. And the way we evolve is we start telling ourselves better stories over time if we're lucky, if we're thoughtful. And those better stories help make money a tool that we use to do the things we want as opposed to a hindrance or something that causes us anxiety. And so we're always growing, we're always learning. And part of that learning process is, for me, the ability to talk to people like you on subjects like this. I want to end this episode the way we end every episode, by asking you what is up next in your life and how people can get in touch with you. Let's talk about the Inspired Money podcast. What is new with the podcast and where can people find it? Well, thank you for that. I just want to challenge all the listeners, not only 
to think about money mindset and the stories that you're telling yourself, but even go one step further. What is the story that you want to tell? And think about legacy and what do you want to leave behind when you're not in this world? Because I think that it's you're thinking about stories of the past, where you are right now, but it's also about thinking where you want to go. So I challenge everybody to just take five minutes or 10 minutes to take the time to do that. So thank you for uh, mentioning Inspired Money. You can find me at inspiredmoney.fm. You can listen to the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Watch the live stream because I'm doing video. We're doing every Wednesday, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern time. We have a panel of guests talking about all kinds of things. Doc G was a guest talking about financial freedom. Our next one, we're talking about wine collecting. So (laughs) very broad topics. But like I said, make more, live more. Well, make more, give more, live more. And we're exploring a lot of different subjects. And we'll see where it goes. But I'm having fun with it. Andy Wong of the Inspired Money Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on Earn and Invest today. Thank you, Doc G. My pleasure. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. All right, I want to try this out on you all. This concept of mindset we've talked about throughout this conversation, but I think we get it wrong. I don't think we should use the word mindset anymore. Traditionally, what that means is the way we look at the future. It's our outlook when we are interpreting our chances of making money or doing well in life or doing whatever we have to do, getting over whatever roadblocks are ahead. We talk about mindset as the way we think about those things in the future. But actually, I think mindset really should be more past-focused, not future or present-focused, but past-focused. And I think we use the word incorrectly. I don't think it should be mindset. We're really talking about meaning. So what is meaning? Meaning is the way we cognitively interpret our past traumas and victories to form a coherent storyline. In other words, these are the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. And that's how we derive a sense of meaning. Generally, when we talk about mindset, we talk about abundance and scarcity. When we're talking about meaning, we're really talking about heroism versus victimhood, right? Some of us will look at the stories of our past, whether good or bad, because all of us go through trauma, and will attach a meaning that is positive and optimistic in which they see themselves as the hero of the story, That's what I would call the abundance mindset, but it's really the hero story. Let's look at the other side. The other side is if you look at your past and think that bad things happened to you that were out of your control and nothing good came from it, that is a victim's story. And I think the victim's story is about scarcity. So the way this translates into present day is our action, our future, How we navigate what comes at us next is all based on our sense of meaning. You may say it's based on mindset, but what I really think is it's based on our sense of meaning. 
Did we attach positive meaning to our past? Were we heroes in our own story? If so, we will look at the future and feel like the likelihood we are going to succeed, get over those hurdles, and move forward is high. We will have an abundance mindset. On the other hand, if you look at your past and see yourself as a victim, then you're likely to feel like the future and present is unmanageable, that there's no way to get ahead, and that you are likely to lose. This is the scarcity mindset. So I think we should reinterpret this, and I think we should stop talking about mindset. What we really have is meaning, which is how we cognitively think of the past, and then we have action, which is our present and future. That's it. So, I mean, I think we can keep talking about mindset. Maybe we're really talking about the same thing. But I think if we want to have a better mindset today, we have to stop looking towards the present and future and go back and reinterpret our past. That's right. We have to tell ourselves different stories about our past that attach new meaning, that separate us from the trauma and the bad things that happened, to say that maybe that we were the victims of bad occurrences, but that we are not bad people, and then realize how those bad occurrences changed and shaped us maybe in positive ways. I talk about this all the time with my death of my father. The death of my father was a horrible thing that happened to me, but I wasn't a bad person. It was a bad thing that happened to me. But I've always interpreted that part of my life as because of his death, I became a doctor, and I was able to fill his shoes and help lots of people. And that was ultimately a positive. Like, I overcame this thing that was really tough to be a successful, happy human being. So, of course, when I talk about the present and the future, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to have a quote-unquote positive mindset or an abundance mindset. But all of that is based on my interpretation of the past. So if you are struggling with the abundance versus scarcity mindset, or if you're wondering what mindset is, I suggest if you want to be better with these things, you start going back and thinking about your past and rewriting those narratives and thinking about all the positives that came from them and seeing how you were a hero of your own story. Because if you feel like you're a hero of your past, the likelihood is you will be a hero in your future. All right, so I leave things running just to catch our after shows, just you and I chatting afterwards. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I always, whenever I do episodes like this, I always kind of feel bad because I know that this is kind of one of those really ephemeral topics. Um, but like I was saying to you before, I, I think that's why it's important. Like it's important to have to stumble through some of these conversations because I think that's where... I think that's where we better understand what it feels like to be someone out in the world today who's just consuming all this stuff for the first time. And they're like, money mindset, I want a better money mindset. But, you know, what does that mean? How do I get there? Yeah. And I think it's, it is tricky because it's not like a recipe where you say, right, A, and do B, a and B, and C. Yeah. And then you'll arrive. It is nebulous. 
Yeah. And it, it, it's nebulous and it just means different things to different people at different times of their life. That's why I really like that example you gave. For some people, the right money mindset may have to be scarcity. And we never, no one ever wants to say that, right? It's like abundance, abundance, abundance. Let's never talk about scarcity. But, right. you know, there are times in your life where you have to get small. And that's okay, yep. too. And that's, you know, it just depends on who you are and what serves you at that moment. And that's, again, that kind of squishy part of money mindset is sometimes we miss some of these details and it confuses people. We didn't talk about it, but I think that age plays an important role too. It's like, where are you in your life? And my wife and I find that being middle-aged, suddenly we're coming <laughs> to the epiphany, oh, we don't need so much clothes in our closet. Let's get rid of the stuff that we don't use. Let's really focus on what we're using and what we need and get rid of the clutter. So we're, we're going through like a decluttering in our household. But I think the important thing is that we're trying to teach our kids so that they learn these lessons earlier and don't have to repeat our mistakes of having like 25 pairs of khaki pants in your <laughs> Come closet. Come on, doesn't everyone need 25 pairs of khaki <laughs> pants? Every guy dad, needs that. <laughs> my dad would actually do that because every time he goes to the you know, the outlet mall. Yeah, he'd he buy like a pair of, of khaki pants. Yeah. I don't know why, but he'd be like, oh, look, these pants are $19.99. <laughs> I'm going to buy two pairs. And then one day he looked at his closet and he was like, I have way too many khaki pants. <laughs> I said, yes, you do, Dad. <laughs> it's that abundance mindset. There's always room in the closet for one more pair of khaki pants. <laughs> yeah, no matter what the size of our closet's, most of us uh, overfill it. <laughs> and then there's storage. I mean, you can always have storage on top of that. So <laughs> that's the business that I wish I was in. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's still time, Andy. There's still time. I have one classmate, uh, one high school classmate who his family business is, you know, the storage. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty lucrative. I think. I think it's a great business. Um, yeah. You know, besides having some security cameras, it's pretty low maintenance cost. Yeah. If you, They're I not, mean, if you spend a lot of time following real estate investors, that comes yeah. up all the time. Like, it's oh, yeah, good. I own storage facilities. That and trailer park homes, right? <laughs> yep. They're or, collecting rent. But when you're uh, renting storage, you don't have, you know, the difficult tenant, hopefully. As long as people are paying, you don't have the headache of, ha of ha having to evict, you know, and deal with complaints and, um, you know, leaky sinks and things like that. Yeah. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.